As I was thinking about this past year, and I hope that you all have a wonderful new year, as I was thinking about everything that happened in 2018, I think my favorite thing that happened this past year, and I apologize to my family because we also went to Disney World, but even better than Disney World, my favorite thing that happened all year was the one church event that we did and us all being together in one room. For one reason, I didn't have to run back and forth, but that's a whole other thing. But no, I, I think about that, that moment all the time. That all of us, over 1,100 of us, all in one room worshiping God together. And as I think back to that, it makes me think forward to what is going to be coming this year and in the following years, what God is doing and will do with this church family. So thank you. Thank you for being who you are, and thank you for letting God continue to use you. I, I flew on a plane a few months ago, and when you fly southwest, you know, they, they let you watch TV on your phone or whatever, and so I always end up watching some weird show or something I've never heard of, but I ended up watching this show about celebrities that were tracing their genealogy, their history, and kind of going back and tracing their roots and going back to, you know, Asia or Africa or Europe or wherever their family came from and sort of figuring out who they were and where they, they came from, originated from, and, and that made me think that that seems to be a really kind of popular thing to do now, doesn't it? The Ancestry.com and 23andMe. And, you know, we, we like that idea of tracing our heritage. Where did we come from? Who are my people? Where did my family originate from? We love especially the stories, don't we? We love, hey, if we had some war hero in our past or we had somebody that did some great deed or something like that. And, and we even feel a bit ashamed, we find out that our great, great, great grandfather did such and such. And so we, we feel this, this connection. But maybe you don't. Maybe you don't care anything about your, and you're like, I hope that's not what Wes is talking about today, because I don't care anything about that. You know, so maybe you don't care. But whether, whether you care or not, it, it does affect us, doesn't it? Where we came from, our heritage, affects our present reality. So let's think through just some of the maybe obvious things about our heritage and our family tree that, that affect our, our present reality. That's the next slide. So number one would, would obviously be physically, right? So we're affected physically by our parents, our grandparents, our great-grand... What you look like... My, my hairline that continues to recede, you know, and how much I will eventually lose. You know, that is impacted and affected by my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandparents and all of your physical features are. Medically, you know, you may be suffering from or you may in the future suffer from some medical ailment or maybe you won't suffer from a common medical ailment because of your heritage and your genes and where you came from and your family. Uh, we could also say, and I think most importantly, is culturally because none of us, you know, came into the world alone we're all shaped by someone, whether the family you were born into or the family you grew up with, someone shaped you. Someone shaped how you speak, your language, the kinds of words you use, what's important to you, what's not important to you, how you dress, your worldview and your perspective and your perception of things. But not only were you shaped by someone, they were shaped by someone who was shaped by someone who was shaped by someone who was shaped by someone. And so our heritage and our genealogy and our family tree, it affects us whether we care about it or whether we even know it or not. 
Maybe we could say financially, but maybe not. You know, maybe you, you could say you've inherited a great fortune or you stand to inherit a great fortune. I'm guessing that's probably not the case with most of us. I know it's not the case with me. Uh, as I was thinking about that, my mom, when I was younger, she, she used to tell me that the family had some sort of land in West Texas, I think, and uh, they owned the mineral rights, and there was always the possibility that, that they might find oil or maybe drill from, I'm not sure exactly if there was a well or what exactly there was, but I did know that if there was money ever came from it, me and my siblings and my cousins, we'd all get our college paid for. I'm still waiting for that to happen. That hasn't <laughs> happened yet, but... But, but let's just pretend for the sake of an illustration that, that it did happen. And let's say that, you know, thousands of dollars start rolling in and we had all of that money. Now, I think because my sisters and I and my cousins, we all love each other, we'd, we'd all want to make sure that everybody got their fair share, that every cousin got what was coming to them and that everything got distributed fairly and equally, but we'd also want to make sure that none of y'all claim to be our cousins, right? We'd all want to make sure that, that everybody that was supposed to get something got something, and that nobody that wasn't supposed to get anything didn't get anything, right? I mean, that's kind of the way inheritance works. If we're going to understand the Bible, and specifically the New Testament, then we have to understand that, that that's a part of it. The idea of Israel being a family, and expecting an inheritance. You see, Jews believed, and Jesus and the apostles even confirmed this, they believed that when a person died, that their spirit went to a spiritual realm, a a paradise where they were protected by God. Jesus put it in terms of being in Abraham's bosom. You remember that? But they also believed that there would come a day when there would be a resurrection, and that the nation of Israel, the family of Israel, would inherit a brand new world. They would call it the world to come. A world that was evil, was eradicated and taken care of. A world in which righteousness dwelled. In fact, the Mishnah, which is the, the sort of the Jews' commentary on Scripture, the teachings of the rabbis, the Mishnah says this, All Israel has a share in the world to come. And I read that because it's very similar to what Paul said in Romans chapter 11 and verse 26. All Israel has a share in the world to come. They believed that that was their inheritance. But just because they, they believed that all Israel would share in the world to come, that didn't mean that they believed every individual Israelite would share in the world to come because there were many of them. If you keep reading from this verse in the Mishnah on, there are several that say, well, not that guy. That guy's not going to have a share in the world to come and not these people and this king, no share in the world to come. And this group of people, they won't share in the world to come. And anybody who does this thing, they won't share in the world to come. So they believe that the world to come was their inheritance, but there were people in Israel who could be cut off from the family tree, that were disinherited. And so when we get into the book of Romans, and we're doing a series right now on Wednesday nights about Romans, you might sum it up to say that Paul's claim, and it was a radical claim, that put a lot of Jews and Gentiles sort of at odds with each other. His claim was that everybody who shares in the faith of Abraham will inherit the promises to Abraham. Everyone that has Abraham's faith will, because of what Jesus did at the cross, 
they will share in the inheritance of Abraham. Now, back to my oil illustration. If you're a family member and all of a sudden people start talking about how, hey, no, 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 you could be part of the family. You could be part of the family. You can inherit all of it. This is yours. You be, you share in our inheritance. You start to say, wait, hold on a second. I'm family. They're not. Who do they think they are coming into my family? Who do they think they are claiming my inheritance? And so it's very easy for Jews, both Jews that were Christians and those that didn't follow Jesus to really resent the claims of these Gentiles who weren't circumcised or keeping the law to claim to be heirs of Abraham. But then it's also possible for the Gentiles to get, as we say, anti-Semitic because the greatest enemy that the church in the first century faced at the time Paul is writing wasn't the Roman Empire yet. That would come later. At this time, the greatest enemy they were facing were Jews. And so it would be very easy for these Gentile Christians to be bitter and angry or even to be resentful and to say, hey, listen, God has cut you off. If you're ethnically Jewish, God is done with you because you rejected Jesus. He's done with you. But Paul's claim was, no, God hasn't rejected any ethnicity. No matter where you come from or who your people are or what you've done, If you become a follower of Jesus, Jew or Gentile, if you share in the faith of Abraham because of what Jesus did, you are heirs according to the promises that God has made to Abraham. So as we work through what Paul says in Romans 11, and it's my favorite metaphor, the Bible has lots of great metaphors, but this one is my favorite. I think if we let this one sink in, it will instill within us at least three things. So as we work through this, think about these three things. One is gratitude. Gratitude. One is humility. And one is connection. As we think about this metaphor about Israel, I hope that we'll let it develop within us gratitude and humility and a sense of profound connection. So Romans chapter 11, let's start in verse 17. Paul says, some of the branches... We're broken off. And you, and he's talking specifically to Gentile Christians in this passage, you, Gentile Christians, and that's good because that's what most of us are, right? Non-Jews. Some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing roots of the olive tree. So, so Paul's metaphor, let's just kind of get it in our mind. He's saying Israel The family of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, are like this lone olive tree. Next slide there. This this lone olive tree. There's other olive trees around, but they're not cultivated like this one. This one is a holy tree, distinct tree, unique tree, otherly tree. And the roots all the way down to the roots of Abraham are holy. And so as it grows, all of the branches are holy. It is a holy tree. Israel is a holy family, a holy people. But he says that individual Israelites, individual Jews, people that are ethnically Jewish, but decide to reject Jesus as their Messiah, as their king, who don't follow Jesus and respond obediently in faith to the good news of Jesus. They're like branches of that holy tree that are broken off, family members that are cut off from the family tree, disinherited. 
And so it's as if there's this beautiful family tree, this beautiful holy olive tree, and all around the bottom of the tree are these branches, individual Israelites who don't accept Jesus as their Messiah, who are broken off and no longer a part of the true family of Israel. That's what Paul is claiming. And then he says about the Gentiles, the next slide, is that you, Gentiles, you're like a grafted-in branch. And that, I, I know probably lots of you have like experience in horticulture and you're going to come up and share all kinds of things. People did that in first service. It's awesome. I love it. It's, it's, it's neat. I mean, it's amazing to think that a branch from a different tree could be cut off from that tree and then joined together with a totally different tree in such a way that they begin to grow together and become a part of the same plant so that the root of that tree nourishes that branch as if it's always been the same, as if it's always been there. And Paul says, listen, that's that's what you Gentiles are. There's this beautiful holy tree of Israel. And those that are ethnically Jewish that reject Jesus as the Messiah, they're disinherited from the family, cut off, and their branches are strewn on the ground. But you, you're taken as this new branch, cut off from some other tree, some wild tree somewhere else, and merged together with this, with this olive tree so that this becomes your story your heritage, your promises. You weren't born into this family, but you were born again into this family, grafted in to this family tree. Now, if that doesn't instill within you a tremendous sense of gratitude, I don't know what will. To say, God wants you to be a part of his commitment to this group of people. All the things we've been talking about all month long about how God is just radically committed to Israel, how he is profoundly committed to them, how he loves them and wrestles with them in spite of their sin. God says, I want you, no matter where you came from, no matter who you are ethnically or racially, no matter who you've been personally and the things that you may or may not have done, no matter who you are, I want to graft you into this family tree. So that my commitment to Abraham and to his descendants is my commitment to you. That, that is something out of which we should live our entire lives so that there is this profound sense of gratitude to say, thank you, God, that you've brought me into this family and made me an heir of all of the promises that you made to Abraham. Because these promises aren't based on your goodness, but on his. Because we share in the nourishing root of the tree, and now that root that nourishes them nourishes you. Now, look at verse 18. And again, he's speaking specifically to the Gentiles. And he says, do not be, what? Arrogant. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. Again, just get in your head that, that word picture. There's this olive tree with all these kind of gnarly branches that are all grafted into it, all different races and nations, all grafted into this tree. And then on the bottom are all these natural branches, those that are ethnically Jewish that have been broken off. And it might be tempting for the grafted in branches to say, ha, 
I've got a spot and you don't. It might be easy for them to be arrogant towards those who are no longer part of the family tree. And Paul says, don't, don't, don't dare allow that kind of arrogance and pride to creep into your thinking. He says, if you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the the root that supports you. It's not that, wow, God's really lucky to have me part of the family of Israel. No, it's you who are incredibly blessed to be part of the family of Israel. Then you'll say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. And Paul says, that's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand faith, you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Here's a true statement that we see not only in the text, but you've seen it in your personal life and you've read about it in history, that pride leads to mistreating people. Isn't that true? Pride leads to mistreating people. If you think you deserve a seat at the table, if you think you deserve to be in God's favor, if you think you deserve everything that you have, it will inevitably lead to you mistreating someone else. In this case... Paul's concerned that those who are ethnically Gentile and now have inherited all of these family blessings of Abraham might lead to them looking down on and resenting and mistreating those who are ethnically Jewish. We've seen that throughout history, haven't we? Both that example and other ethnicities and groups, People mistreating other people because they think they're better because of what they've done or who they've been or the color of their skin or what country they come from or how much money's in their pocket or how many letters are after their name. But pride always leads to mistreating people. But our grafted-in status, the idea that you, you don't deserve to be part of this family story, but you are, because of the grace of God, it ought to lead to a profound sense of humility. People ask me, say, how are you? And I say, better than I deserve. I got that from Dave Ramsey on the radio. But but there's multiple layers where that's true. I'm better than I deserve. I don't deserve to be part of this story. I don't deserve this. But I have it. Because he is a radically committed God. And he was committed to saving Israel and not just saving those who are ethnically Jewish, but taking people from every nation and grafting us into this remarkable family story, into this family tree. And so we live our lives not only in a sense of gratitude, but a sense of humility, knowing that pride leads to mistreating people. And Paul knew that if Jews in the church in Rome thought they were better than Gentiles in the church in Rome, it would lead to the Gentiles being mistreated. And if the Gentiles in the church in Rome felt like they were better than those who were ethnically Jewish, it would lead to the mistreatment of those who were ethnically Jewish. Because anytime someone feels like they're better than someone else, anytime someone believes that they deserve a seat at the table, 
they will inevitably mistreat someone else. And so Paul's saying, listen, this wasn't your seat. It was somebody else's seat, and it's been given to you. Imagine being at a family reunion. Maybe Christmas time, you spent time with family. Imagine going to a big family reunion. There's a big table. And let's say you weren't really part of that family, and some guy named Bob, you know, sorry to anybody named Bob, he was kicked out of the family, and he, you got his seat. And there's a little name tag with Bob's name on it, and you're sitting in Bob's seat. That would fill you with an incredible sense of humility. This was somebody else's seat. And I'm sitting here. And I don't deserve to be here. But I'm here because of what Jesus has done for the nations. Verse 22. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided, here's the important part, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even if they, talking about the the broken branches, those who are ethnically Jewish, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. This is kind of a side note, but there are far too many people that believe that the Bible teaches that once you become a follower of Jesus, that, that you're You can never be cut off. That's exactly the opposite of what Paul is saying, isn't it? He's saying, listen, if you look at these branches that have been cut off from the family tree, it ought to remind you that if they could be cut off, surely you could be cut off. You've been grafted into this tree, are grafted in status, and the humility that comes with it comes with the understanding that if I don't continue in the kindness of God, I can be disinherited. But in the same respect, those that have been cut off can be grafted back in if they don't continue in their unbelief. Because anyone, Jew or Gentile, who will make Jesus their king and follow him, be reborn into his family, anyone, those that are ethnically Jewish, those that are ethnically Gentile, no matter where you've been, you can be grafted back into the tree. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, he's calling all of our families wild, and that's, that's true, isn't it? We were all cut off from these other families and grafted, contrary to nature, into the cultivated olive tree. How much more will these, the natural branches, those that are ethnically Jewish, be grafted back into their own olive tree? That's, that was Paul's hope, was that they would be so jealous that the Gentiles were getting their inheritance, that they would turn to Jesus and believe, and that God could graft back in those branches that had been cut off. But I'll tell you what, what it ought to instill within us, a sense of connectedness, a sense of connection. Because, church, this is the point. <laughs> Do we realize that? That the point isn't just your own personal salvation. The point is this, that God is taking all of us from all of our different wild families and all of our backgrounds, all of our ethnicities, all over the world, and God is creating a multinational, multi-ethnic, multi-racial Israel. This holy, cultivated tree that goes all the way back to Abraham. He's grafting us, all of us, into the world's most important family tree. And that ought to change the way that we feel connected to each other. Because if we're in Jesus, we're family. 
No matter what you look like or where you've been or the language you speak, no matter what your personal family tree looks like, we have this family tree that we're now a part of. And so it changes our connection to one another. It changes how we treat one another. But it also changes how we read the Bible. The Bible, when we realize this and we let this metaphor sink in, the Bible, we realize, isn't a a book of rules. It's not an encyclopedia. It's not a dictionary. It's your family history. It's your family story. See, we we spend all kinds of money and time and energy, and I love it. I I like to invest some time into tracing down my family tree, but we, we, we try to figure out our family history. But when you realize this, you realize the Bible is your family history. The Bible is your family history, and it changes how you read every promise, how you understand God's commitment. Because it wasn't just that God was committed to a group called Israel. It's that God is still committed to a group called Israel. Not people that are ethnically Jewish, but people that follow Jesus have been grafted into the world's most important family tree. And it instills within us this sense of gratitude, this sense of humility, this sense of connection. And that, church, is where our commitment comes from. That's what we've been talking about all year, isn't it? Commitment. That based on the commitment of God and understanding this big picture, that this story of Israel is the one that God has grafted you into And he said, this is now your heritage. This story is your story. This heritage is your heritage. These people are your people. And more importantly, these promises are your promises. And we're overwhelmed with gratitude. And we're overwhelmed with humility. And we're overwhelmed with the sense of connection. And we say, in response to God's commitment to us, we commit all to him, to his glory, to his cause, and to his people. Because Israel's God is our God. And God's people are our people, our family. And church, listen, every single one of us can respond to this truth, can't we? Whether it's that you're not yet grafted into the family tree, born again by the water and the spirit, or maybe you've sort of lost your sense of humility or gratitude or connection. And you need to have that stirred up again. Or maybe it's just that you know all of this and you're like, Wes, I I know all of this stuff. I've always known this. You know, when you become a Christian, you become part of the family of Israel. I've always understood that. Good. Now go tell somebody else, right? Go tell somebody. Because church, this is what it's about. God wants his family tree to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. He wants his family tree to be more and more diverse with branches from all over the world grafted into the world's most important family tree. So tell somebody. Respond to this truth. God is saying, this is your story. This is your gift. These are your promises. Now, what will you do about it? How will you respond? If you need to respond publicly, we'd love to help you. You can respond with these shepherds, respond that way. But all of us, 
because of the commitment of God, let us commit all to him, to his glory, to his cause, and to his people. Let's do that this morning as we stand and sing.